Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. I'm here in the booth with Mitch today, and uh, we're going to talk about an interesting uh, pamphlet that Vanguard's put together. It's called How America Saves 2020, and the Cliff's Notes versions are called Insights to Action. And there's a, what, about 120 pages, I think, in a, uh, a longer brief that they have written. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's a very interesting and insightful study that they did looking into how investors invest and how the plan design of a lot of these employer savings plans can poke and prod people into investing in certain ways. And, uh, you know, I think that it's great that we see some of these plan designs help out people in retirement savings. And so we'll delve into that topic a little bit and uh, just explore the important themes that a lot of these 401k plans have in their enrollment structures and their participations and how um, you know certain little tweaks that they can make that actually don't cost anybody anything really can have meaningful benefits. So uh, Mitch, what's one of the things that stood out to you most in this study and survey? Well, first, if, let's zoom out a little bit here. So plan design, right? That might not mean something to everybody. So plan design in general, what we're referring to for some of those things, and this Vanguard study refers to defined contribution plans, which for all intents and purposes, we'll, we'll say is a 401k at this point, um, even though there are other, other types of defined contribution plans. But plan design, so not all 401ks are equal. Right, just because a 401k is allowed to do certain things, you can design the plan in a way to make it fit your specific business, let's say, or be the best for the employees at that type of business. So there's eligibility things built in. There's loans. There's let's say a Roth conversion or in-service distribution options. There's all these things that can actually customize a plan matching. Right? What does the employer match? So all those things go into what we would refer to as plan design. So first, I wanted to at least kind of mention that. Yeah, it's a good call out. And also, uh, little things that people take for granted now have to be implemented in the plan document. So for example, when loans were first instituted, um, unless the plan allows loans, uh, then they they cannot occur. You know, So you've got to have a plan document and an employer basically checking the box on certain items. So uh, loans might be one of those. Another thing that, that has become more recent is the advent of the Roth 401k. So being able to make after-tax contributions in more of a Roth format. And those took a number of years to be implemented in most plans, uh, especially the larger ones, because it actually took an act of the company saying, okay, we're going to amend our plan document and allow this type of investment. And then they had to work with record keepers to be able to make sure that they were able to uh, take the, the client are the employee contributions and be able to put it in the right bucket. So obviously you don't want to commingle uh, pre-tax assets and after-tax assets together. So that had to be amended in the plan document and then record keepers had to account for it. So that's kind of how that whole process works. So back to your first question, what stood out to me? I think one of the things that really stood out to me was just over the last decade, so from 2010 to now here in 2020, the the popularity of automatic enrollment. So in 2010, it looked like there was for sure less than half of plans actually had an auto enrollment feature. So if if you include all plans, so um, they kind of have itemized here as far as the larger employers with a thousand plus participants in the plan. But if you include all plans, again, this is Vanguard plans, but 
I mean, by the way, they do have what a trillion or two dollars in yeah, plan. So bucks. I mean, that's a pretty good sample size, I would say. But twenty seven percent of all plans in twenty ten had auto enrollment versus fast forward to or twenty nineteen, actually, not in twenty twenty. This is a twenty nineteen number. All plans are fifty percent, but the larger employers have seventy one percent. So it sounds like the larger employers are, are really doing a good job of getting their employees signed up automatically by default. But the smaller employers seem to be lagging a bit. So to me, I thought that was kind of interesting on this auto enrollment popularity. It's grown a ton, but there's still a big divide and there's still a lot of room to go, in my opinion. I, I think it should be used probably more. I agree with you. And uh, to delve into that too, uh, according to the Vanguard study, plans that use automatic enrollment had a 92% participant rate compared with 61% for plans with voluntary enrollment. And where this is so important is the inertia of signing up. You know, if you have to go sign up for something, uh, you have a lot less of a situation, a lot less participation than if you have to opt out. So really all that happened in the legislation, when we had legislation years ago, they basically opened the door to automatic enrollment. Really what they said was you can offer automatic enrollment and you're not going to be basically sued or you're not going to have negative ramifications from the Department of Labor. We're going to allow that. And that sort of turn of how they structured these plans equals a participation rate far higher than uh, than those without. So that, to me, what a weird thing, like how impactful just automatic enrollment is versus any other way. Just yeah. And this is so important now because I don't have a chart in front of me or anything, but we all know that there's a, a decreasing trend in pension plans, right? So this is talking about defined contribution plans. Again, we'll just say 401k. Then there's defined benefit plans, which is more on the pension side. And, and those are more or less going away. Now, fortunately, here in Madison, Wisconsin, we have a lot of people connected to the university, connected to the state. They're in Wisconsin retirement system, which is basically a pension plan. So, But for the most part, if you work in corporate America, you probably don't have a pension anymore. And now it's up to you. So this auto-enrollment feature is just one example of how plan design is critically important to really help your employees get a head start, but then also have a sustaining, disciplined approach to actually being on track for their retirement. Yeah, and I think one of the most important things is getting young people to save. We always talk about developing that savings habit early because if you don't do that, it's so hard to ingrain that in what you want to try to do as you age because you look at your paycheck as your paycheck and then everything that you do when you're saving money seems to be oh you're taking away from money from me instead of I'm paying myself first some of my money is going to be set aside for investment and so in this study the voluntary enrollment rate for age 35 and less years old if you're voluntary enrolling it's 44% for the participation rate for the automatic enrollment for that age group of less than 35, 90% of people auto-enroll are participating. And so only 10% of those people actually opt out. But when you have to opt in, you flip that on its head, and you know 56% of the people then never opt in. That's just amazing. And, and it's even bigger on if you're tenure, if you're there less than two years and you have to voluntarily enroll, 37% of the people enroll. So this, this is the problem here because... You know, you have so many people where you have to educate them on the front end about why they should, and then they have to do something. 
And then if you just say, you know what, you don't have to do anything. We're going to automatically enroll you at this certain amount. If you have tenure of less than two years, 86% of the people uh, participate in it in, with automatic enrollment. It's incredible when you just say, we're just going to opt you in. And if you want to opt out, you got to let us know. And, and so this is just, it's so compelling when you make, make people do that. And I, you know, people talk about um, social security, you know, if we had to privatize social security and we had to opt into social security, Oh man. I mean, how many people would actually participate in social security? I mean, so few people. So that is a forced savings habit. So that on top of 401k automatic enrollment, that's a great pair right there. So I'll ask you the same question that you asked me about five minutes ago. We, we chat a lot about automatic enrollment. What to you was a theme that really stood out to you, Clint? Well, I think that going beyond automatic enrollment and saying, okay, well, what's next? Uh, and one of the things that we have seen is on top of auto enrollments, auto increases. And so in the Vanguard study, they said that the target savings rate should be somewhere between 12 and 15%. And actually, in, generally in this office, we generally say it, it's 15 to 20. Um, you know, and it does depend on where you're going to save that money. You know, sometimes we, we say, okay, well, retirement only might be 15, but you still got to save for college or you still got to save in a brokerage account, uh, for, for other expenses during the course of your lifetime. But, uh, getting an auto increase. And this just means that each year they might implement a, it's a 1% increase. So if you started off at a 6% contribution next year, it's going to be seven automatically in your paycheck. Or, the, or if they do two, it's, you know, next time it's eight. So, you know, this is going to increase every single year until you get to a target savings amount or eventually a max uh, of your 401k plan. So this is wonderful because it's kind of that set it and forget it again, just blend it into your budget and you're probably not even going to notice it. And it does lead up to great savings over time. So the interesting thing, a little observation here, we both had a different response to what we noticed, but the underlying theme was automate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because otherwise, again, to your point, what if we had to actually enroll in participating in Social Security, right? Just for that example. But if you can automate this, whether it's the increase, enrolling right off the get-go, automate, automate, automate if you can, right? And that will essentially set up employees for a better outcome, hopefully, right? Well, if we talk about automation, you know what comes to mind for me, and I want to hear what yours is too, one thing that you automate, Mitch, but one thing that I automate, and it, it's stupid. One thing that I automate, and I'll tell you one thing that I don't automate. Wait, hold on, hold on. Can I guess? Yeah. Are you going to talk about your toothbrush service? I am not. Or your battery service? Neither. Those are, you've automated both those, right? Uh, bat, uh, not battery, but um, filters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Furnace filters, best automation ever. You're never going to remember it. And, you know, unless you put in your phone as a reminder, and again, that's, that's opt-in versus opt-out. If I get a box that's sitting, you know, in my floor and my wife is going, why is this box sitting there? It's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put it into the furnace. I'm going to throw out the box. It's done. And then when it comes again, I know I need to turn it. I need to do something with that. Now, the other thing that I can't opt into yet is, um, water softener salt. Ooh. You know, when you figure out, when you need to add water softener salt, when your wife it's tells you, my <laughs> skin <hair>. is, su- <laughs> my skin is so itchy. What is going on, Clint? And I go, well, the last time I changed it, it was like, what, two months ago? And she's like, it's been like five months. There's nothing. And then you open the thing up and it's like dry. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> so is there something that you've automated in your life that's helpful? Oh, man. 
Probably. Let's see. What have what have I done to automate that's helpful? Well, you know, while I'm thinking about that, let me talk about something I was thinking of at the beginning of this podcast. So here at Walker Content, we like automating, right? As we're we're saying here. And we I've mentioned this last time I was on, but we have this fancy new little mixer, right? Mixer is the word for the yeah. podcast equipment. Yeah. All right. So we got this mixer, it's got all these fancy buttons, right? And what used to happen was we would record the audio, we'd give the little file SD card to Hannah, Hannah would have to go in and add the intro, add the outro, add the disclosures. So what we did was we kind of automated this, where now Clint presses a button, the music starts, right? So that kind of eliminated Hannah's role in in, uh, manually adding that. So press the button at the beginning, press the button at the end, done. And I was also kind of thinking... It's because you, this, you you mentioned that just because of this, Mitch. Well, this wait wait. Actually, what I was thinking of when you press the button, I'm I'm going down a tangent here. When you press the the music button, I also have the ability to I think sing along. You could, and I was really tempted. I have a karaoke history in my past, <laughs> and one of these days you might just hear me kind of singing along in the background next time you you press the button. So, anyways. Automation. <laughs> Automation. <laughs> what have I automated in my own life? I've not automated filters. I have, hmm, I'm kind of stumped. I'm not going to lie. I used to have, I used to work for Rockwell Automation. <laughs> 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 and, and we would help automate uh, processes on the manufacturing floor. So that's, that's my closest link to, to automation probably. I think I'm that's pretty good. Terrible I think you got to find some automation in your life, man. For sure. I know. I know. Hey, well, heck, I've automated Roth IRA contributions. There you go. Boom. I don't have to press a button. I don't have to call TD Ameritrade. It just happens. Okay. So in your 401k plan, going kind of back to this, but in your own 401k plan, do you pick your own allocation or do you use a, do you use a fund to do that? or a? No, I pick my own because a lot of the target date funds... For for my case, right? Again, I'm, this isn't a recommendation for everybody, but I'm I'm young. I'm an aggressive investor as far as risk tolerance goes and I can basically go 100% equities and that'll that'll fit my needs right so I want to pick those funds that I have in the 401k and there's what 20 30 options we have in our 401k plan so I want to pick those equity funds that can be used if I were to do a target date fund right that's kind of one fund and instant diversification so to speak but a lot of times they don't have 100% equities so right. it's rare that a target date fund will have 100% equity. So I couldn't exactly accomplish what I wanted to do for my investment goals through a target date fund. Yeah, I would say for the vast majority of people, target date funds are a good starting point. Uh, and usually we tell people that, you know, let's get you to your personalized risk number and customize that allocation at some point. But uh, for somebody just starting out or somebody that just says, I'm a do-it-yourselfer, I don't need a financial advisor. Okay, well... You know, most times I say you should probably pick a target retirement date fund because, you know, up to your own devices, eh, probably not the best just to read one issue of Kiplinger's, figure out you have it all figured out, and then uh, <laughs> and then invest in a bunch of emerging market funds. Well, I've also seen people that are on the brink of retirement in the next couple of years, let's say, and they haven't looked at their 401k since they were 38 or something, let's say, and they're in two funds, and one's a small cap fund and one's a mid cap fund. And it's like, holy cow, I, I don't know if where you are in your current life stage, if, if that's, maybe that's the right thing for them. I don't know, but you know, more often than not, sometimes those things do not get reviewed on a regular basis for, for the do-it-yourselfers as well. 
right? That's right. And the target retirement date fund at least drifts down to being more conservative as somebody gets older. And, you know, that may or may not fit your situation. You know, it all depends on where you are in life. Um, you know, if somebody is, you know, going to retire and you pick that date, it might not mean that they actually retire forever. They may continue to work. So it might not actually fit their situation best, but you know, uh, right now, a lot of plans offer target retirement date funds. Uh, it's about 94% of funds in 2019, up from 79% in 2010, according to the study. And so I think that's great that these are offered because a prepackaged, diversified strategy for me is much better than just going, okay, here's a bunch of funds and figure it out yourself. Um, I remember seeing that in the beginning of my career. And the thing that most people would do is they would do one of two strategies. They'd pick you know, a whole bunch of funds and then they just equal them all out depending on the name of the fund. Doesn't, didn't matter. It was basically like I picked out five funds and I put 20% in each. And so that was one strategy. Um, I, I, you know, that's probably not a very good strategy. And the other strategy was I looked at, this is the strategy most employed. I looked at all the five-year returns or 10-year returns and I just picked the three or four highest and then I put my money in there. So, you know, maybe guaranteeing that they buy high, it all depends. So, you know, it's one of those things that you just got to be really careful in that. And so target retirement date funds, I think, are a great uh, thing to look at there uh, when you just don't know anything about it and, and you want to do it yourself. And not all target date funds are the same. I think for the most part, they're trying to accomplish the same thing as far as make it easy for someone that doesn't have a whole lot of investment savvy to at least get instant diversification. There's usually low expense ratios to do that. But some funds are are to retirement is what we'll say, then through retirement. So how conservative it gets over time is something that'll be different between, let's say, a Vanguard fund or a Fidelity fund or insert target fund here, right? So even something like that, if you talk to an advisor like one of us at Walkner Condon, you know, just the education around, hey, how do these things actually work, right? And we say, well, they get more conservative. Well, how does it do that, right? It's usually through the use of the stocks and bonds mix within the fund. So over time, you know, the allocation of stocks and bonds will change. But all those things said, target date funds, I think Clinton and I are both in agreement here. They definitely have a place in retirement plans. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one other thing that I found very interesting because I saw it in stats first here and I know it to be the case because of the experience we've had here, but you know, if I ask the open-ended question of who out of our clients are most likely to take a withdrawal from their retirement accounts, the answer to that would be those who have taken a previous withdrawal out of their retirement Done it before, do it again. That's exactly right. So for me, the hardest time, and especially people that are still working, that need money, that are basically deficit spending, and we do have a few clients that do deficit spend, and sometimes it's not a problem if you've got all kinds of cash, and for others it is a problem, and it is almost always the people, the first time is the most difficult, and they hem and haw, and they call you, and they just say, hey, you know, i got to take a withdrawal. It's, it's, it's this one-time thing. I just got to get this expense out of the way or I got some credit card bills and I got to, I got to take care of this. I got to wipe that debt out. I got to start from zero there. It's like, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll give you a withdrawal. And then guess what? A month, a year, two years later, there's another reason. And then it just, it just happens again. And so this study verified that, that it's just not our clients, which I, I knew I figured, but you know, 
Four in 10 participants who took a withdrawal in 2019 had also taken one in 2018. And about one in 10 of this group had taken a planned withdrawal in each of the past five years. So obviously that's sort of, and they called it leakage from the retirement plan. Uh, so, you know, those sorts of leakages that you could have in there, you know, all add up to a big uh, number in the end, in many cases of saying, Hey, you, you know, you don't have as much as you thought you were going to have because you're no longer feeding this. And that could be through withdrawals that could be through loans, et cetera. But, you know, if you take a withdrawal or a loan and you are uh, before retirement age, you have to take a long look at why you're doing that and know yourself really well and try to probably find a different avenue rather than taking out of your 401k. Uh, you know, perhaps it's a home equity line of credit. Perhaps it's just a short-term credit card, something like that. But taking that withdrawal from your retirement accounts can be um, really penalizing for yourself long-term. Well, and another thing, this Vanguard study doesn't necessarily point this out, but there's usually a correlation with what's going on in the macro economy and, and even the, the stock market itself, right? When people feel like they need to take these withdrawals, right? It's maybe in a time and, and a hardship withdrawal is, is could be different than a, a loan per se, but a lot of times they people, the people want to access their money when things are, are rough, right? So in 2020, 50 years from now, what do you think we're going to be talking about what to happen in 2020? I mean, we're going to talk about COVID, COVID. And, and the the almost Great Depression of COVID, right? I yeah. mean, it's it's going to be pretty close to that. And and the numbers of hardship withdrawals from retirement plans and loans from four hundred one ks just shot through the roof in pretty much March, April, May timeframe, right? So I, I bring this out because there's there's a correlation when people are taking some of these withdrawals from their accounts, and they very well might not even be taking it out during a a favorable time to take it out. (laughs) Right. Very true. Um, so we've, we've seen this again, like, like Clint said from some of our clients, but also it's been recognized nationally and the cares act didn't necessarily help the cause. Like it gave people, um, it gave people more grace and how much they can take, but just because you can, take a certain amount doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And I think that's, that's one of the underlying messages here. That's exactly right. Do that and auto enroll if you can in your, uh, in your 401k in that whole step up, you know, in, in that, in those increases, that's what we'd like to, to say, because, uh, you know, look and see if your plan offers that. And if you can take anything as a conclusion, I would say that, you know, check your allocation, make sure you're well diversified, make sure you're hitting your risk as you want to, uh, and then if you can turn on some sort of auto enrollment, something that's going to create some inertia from yourself and make it difficult to turn it back down, consider the use of that as well. So thank you very much for joining us on another episode of Give Me Some Truth. And uh, we'll get back at you with another episode very soon. This is our attempt at a short, plain English disclosure. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Conda Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. All matters that we discuss during the show are for informational purposes only. Look, we weren't attorneys. We aren't tax accountants. Uh, if you want to rely on that sort of advice, go to your CPA, go to your estate planning attorney, uh, go to that trusted investment professional. If you're looking at global financial advice, sit down, meet with an advisor, consider your whole financial situation, and then decide whether or not that fits your own situation. 
We all know that past performance is not indicative of future results. We know that any sort of performance that we talk about, any sort of charts, graphs, anything else that we bring up should not be relied on to be, first of all, uh, reliable because there could be some error in it and then also applicable to your own personal situation. So please take a step back before you listen to something and act on it and consider your own personal situation and meet with a professional where applicable. Uh, review your own investor objectives, risk tolerance, your time horizon. And we all know that all investing involves risk and possible loss of capital. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Give Me Some Truth. And we hope that you can join us on a future episode.